Hey all, Alan here, and welcome to A Journey's Rest, a podcast focused on the vast but deep set of topics about the complexity and joy of roleplay games. Whether you need to attune to a magic item, regain some hit points, change out spells, or just reminisce with friends, here we just sit down for uh, around about an hour and enjoy ourselves. Today we are going to get a little more serious than our last few episodes. In this episode, Zach and I reminisce about some of the hardest times we've ever had in D&D, and how those games have allowed us to look at real-life problems through the more safe, but sometimes still difficult, lens of roleplay games. We like getting to the point of talking about what we've gained from it all, but today is about looking at the hardship that got us there. So as a quick side, there is a minor content warning for the latter half of this podcast. We discuss topics such as self-harm, mental dissociation, and there are some discussions of grotesque violence, and we'll let you know again when we get to that point in the show. Seriously though, I think this is one of my favorite yet, so please, stick around, and sincerely, I hope you enjoy. I was actually expecting you just to like interrupt the quiet with the clapsing. Good. Podcast has begun. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> oh no, that one was really loud. I could see it in my audio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this week we have a special guest on our podcast, uh-huh. and his name is Zach. Hi. Yep. Hello, everyone. This is my first time on the podcast. Um, Hi, Zach. How's it so going, far. buddy? Uh, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, it's been you know through it's this been audio medium thirty-four years. Um, and with me is special guest Martin Tre Morgan Treeman. Morgan, all right. Well, special guest Morgan Morgan Treeman. No Treeman. relation to Morgan Freeman. Nope, whatsoever. None at all. I He's a tree. Yep, I'm just a tree, and I'm a tree man. I'm not sure if this intro has gone as well as I had hoped it would. But <laughs> I, th- I think. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, yes. So today, we are going to talk about the most difficult sessions to play yeah. slash DM. Yep. Uh, and that means a number of things. As you can see, that's a very vague topic. So we'll yeah. kind of beat around the nitty-gritty of it and see where it leads us. Wow. Alan, you, you just uh, like you pushed like so start? many metaphors together in that sentence. It was insane. I am a metaphysical man, so... <laughs> Would you like to uh, start us off, and and do you have a specific time that you would like to bring up? An uh, yeah. Example? So I think first of all, I'd just kind of like to get an idea for kind of where we came to with this with this podcast. Like over the years, as I've been DMing, it's taken me a lot of time to get to where I am, um, and a lot of times as a player to see you know those difficult times as well. And it just got me thinking like what were the times that were the most defining for myself? And oftentimes those are the most difficult times. So when I look at the sessions that define me as a D&D player of either a player or a DM, right? I look for those ones that really impact me. And sometimes those sessions are the ones that feel really good. And sometimes those are the sessions that feel really, really bad. So... Uh, and and th- that can come from a couple different places, right? It can feel really bad because the situation impacted you really well. Um, but it can also come from a place where it's possible that the um, like the session just didn't go 
how you wanted it to. You kind of hoped that your players would go one way so that you could give them something or get to a certain type of feeling. But instead of yeah. doing that, it felt like you were railroading, right? And and that sometimes sucks. Or it can be where you are looking to have a really fun game. It's You've worked up to something really hard and maybe a player's having a bad day, right? And yeah. at that point, the player just isn't engaged. And Yeah, and we've kind of touched on that before, yeah. but we're going to get into it a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. So I think um, there have been a couple, but like, what, what do you think about just like that in general, Zach? Um, I think it's, it's, in, it's unavoidable if you're going to be a dungeon master or if you're going to play D&D. I mean, if you're going to be a player, same difference. Hopefully then this will provide some way of like, understanding the other side a little bit more and why those difficult sessions happen and what it means to have a difficult session. Because as you kind of touched on, a difficult session can be a lot of things. It can be a session that, yeah, it doesn't go the way you want it to. It could be a session that um, does go the way maybe you wanted it to and it leaves you just emotionally torn in half a little bit, you know, and and, um, that's not necessarily bad. So a difficult session isn't necessarily bad. I mean, it's it's... You can learn from it as a character. You can learn from it as a player. Yep. And you can learn from it as a dungeon master. Yep. So I think I'd like to add in what what the takeaway is, right? Sure. For for any one of those scenarios. Sure, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, so with that, uh, would you like me to go first? Sure, yeah, okay. go for it. Um, I, think, I think there's a couple categories that I'd like to kind of divvy this into because I think um, there are different expectations that I was I, I would like to talk about because for me, I can distinctly remember two sessions that I had a lot of difficulty with. Um, and they came from different directions, right? Uh, actually, maybe three sessions that I, I was trying to the get list to grows. Yeah. Um, let's start with these two. And these two were as a, a DM. Uh, and I think there's a third one as a player that I would like to uh, talk about. And I think that you'll be able to give really good context on because it was one that we played together. Um, yep. And so the, I think, wow. Oh no, the, the list keeps growing. Um, but I think I'll kind of bundle the first one together. It was kind of this, this time where I was DMing this campaign. Um, we called it Dawn Guard because it, all the people in this group were in a group called the Dawn Guard. And there was this quest that they were going on to stop this person from destroying a um, destroying a city. And long story short, the players ended up in a underwater cavern, and they were being given hospitable uh, places to stay by the merfolk that lived there. And at a certain point, everybody was going to bed, and one of the people woke up one of the players woke up and he heard rustling downstairs and so he you know trotted downstairs to go check it out his rogue ass being very quiet and he opened the door only to find uh someone in the room of the player's favorite kid sidekick um uh, and this character this npc was drawing on the ground and basically what happened was, long story short, I had a, a plot point that had to happen so that the the game could progress in a way that made sense. But yeah. the players played it really well. 
as we well. We rolled very well. We yeah. fought very hard. Because yeah. this, this was not one character's favorite sidekick. I mean, it was, but it was everybody's favorite sidekick. I mean, this was basically the son of every player in right. the group. Well, so for context, um, this character, uh, it's really weird, because his name is Carrick, right? So his, this character uh, is a... Um, he, he was an orphan, right? He was originally found uh, being tr- trained as a, a sorcerer, and he yeah. had had his sister die because the party didn't get there in time. And yep. after that, his desire was to keep adventuring with them, and a couple extenuating circumstances led to his dad sacrificing himself so that he could stay alive. And then after yeah. that, he really had nowhere else to go. And so the characters of the campaign kind of took him under their wing and made sure that he had a place to live, a place to stay. Yeah. And that was really good. Each of us was giving him something of ourselves, teaching him how to do something that we knew how to do. Like right. doing, making these very fumbling, like poorly, like ill-advised attempts at parenting. Right. I mean, we had real attachment to this kid. On, on some level, it was our fault that he was in this situation in the first place. And maybe that was more or less true. We, we didn't really know at the time. There was a lot of unknown in this, right. that particular situation. But especially, I think, because of what happened to the sister, right? we felt responsible for him. And he was a very well-played character because that's kind of Alan's MO is amazingly played characters. Okay, calm down, Zach. <laughs> calm down. Um, and so I it, buddy. it was like... Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's true. If it if it hadn't been a well played character, it wouldn't have been as difficult a session. It wouldn't have been diff- as difficult a thing. So that's the setup. That's the scenario, right? So why was that a difficult session? It was you? super difficult because, like, I knew that this character that you guys all liked, I knew he had to be taken, right? Because it kind of got to a point where it became like you know, like dad simulator, right? Yeah. And and that's so good, right? That's good. But I knew I wanted you guys to get to a certain point. And I said, oh my gosh, the only way for me to get them there is if they have a character that they need to pursue in order to save someone they really care about. And the most beloved character in that entire campaign was Carrick, right? Yeah. And, and this character that you guys had essentially become the surrogate fathers for... Um, was super valuable to you guys. And so with that, I knew that in order to create a um, a sense of urgency, I had to have this occur. I had to have this plot point occur. But I didn't want you to be unprivy to it, but I also wanted it to be... I knew it had to happen, right? Yeah. And so whether you guys had any real influence over it or not was... My goal was to try and get as close to you feeling like you had influence over it that as you could. Um, yeah. And I think I failed, right? And, and, and maybe that was just a way that I wrote the encounter, and, which is very reasonable. Um, yeah. But I think that what I would have probably hoped for a little bit more was that it got to a point where, like, if I got to choose how it occurred, like, I would have rather you guys just try and save him and and try really and and succeed and then uh lancelot the character that was stealing him uh and then lancelot would just show you that he's a very powerful wizard by just leaving right with him or something like that and that would have been very interesting but you guys played it very well right so it made it very difficult for me um 
and maybe that would have been more reasonable and more agency based if I would have mm -hmm. allowed it uh, as a DM to happen over multiple sessions, right? If it would have been the case where like, oh, you know what? They bested me. Um, I think that was probably the most, the most I felt like I had to railroad you guys. And you know, retrospectively, as a DM, you never do everything perfect, right? If you did, no, it'd you be don't. it wouldn't. There'd never be a challenge to actually playing the game, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that the the hardest thing for me was getting in there and being like, no, this has to happen. I didn't allow myself the latitude to kind of feel like, okay, I could do this in a couple sessions in a couple different attempts, right? But yeah. I, I knew that the t there was a time crunch. There was uh, things that needed to happen and get done in order for you to feel this sense of urgency and this sense of necessity. Mm -hmm. And so I made sure to do it. And uh, you guys kind of understood the motivations later, but I mean, that's kind of the whole point. The character, it was like a big gray area. I don't write any like black yeah. or white characters really. Um, but like, I think that's important, right? Cause I don't, I, I want you guys to feel like, wow, that was like a dumb decision, but like, why did that character make it? Maybe, maybe he made it for good intentions, but in a bad yeah, way. That was exactly the situation. Right, exactly. And so I think that, if I were to go back and do it again, I would be like, okay, I would want more time and I would want more ways to do it in ways that weren't just me saying, okay, he's gone now, what do you do, right? Yeah. Um, well, this totally like plays into the trope of the unkillable boss, like the cutscene. But right. I think we're so influenced by the media we consume that many DMs will put cutscenes into the game. But yeah. the problem is... You never stop playing your character in D and D. Right. You're never not able to do all of the things that you can do unless something is directly preventing you from doing that. Right. And like plot is not really a good reason why I can't cast Eldritch Blast, why I can't counterspell, why I can't right. you know do this, do that. So that is a pitfall that I think a lot of DMs struggle yeah. with. Um, and I think when it comes to difficult sessions, that is a big one on yeah. both sides well, and I, of the dm wanting to have this moment and the players being yeah. like well why can't i influence this right yeah I, I totally agree and i think the part that that made it the most frustrating for you guys was the fact that i take a lot of pride in making sure that you have an incredible amount of agency in my games mm -hmm. i pride myself on making sure that you feel like you can just do whatever you want right yeah. and i think and the, you do the the thing is like it was so drastically different because I said, no, this kind of happens. And you're like, wow, that just like, that sucks. Cause I haven't ever felt that like this way exactly. Right. And so I think yeah. that, that really made it even worse. Um, yeah, but I, I agree with you. I think it can be this pitfall because like a lot of media says, you know, Oh, cutscenes are really cool. And I think I've kind of evolved that into being like, all right, well, there's a place for like monologues, right? There's a place for people to be like, oh, look, this this dude's talking about something. Um, and it doesn't necessarily affect your players, but it gives them information. And so a lot yeah. of what I've tried to do is kind of like change those type of interactions into monologues. And that way it can be like, okay, I'm going to try and give you this information. And if I do a good enough job, the players don't want to affect that. Right? Yeah, that's true. They that's want to listen. True. Right, and so, so that's one of your solutions is turn it into a greater monologue that people then listen to. Yeah, and, something and like that, or like maybe with. even an, an event that happens outside of their possibility. So like, um, I've also used like divining, right? So like, if they have, um, in one of my campaigns, I had a pensieve, right, from like Harry Potter, right? Yeah, and I had a 
uh, a, like a memory from one of the characters that got That's put exactly into the what Pensy. I was going to just suggest. And then, yeah. and then all the other characters get to experience that in a way where they're like, they have the agency to move to it and to engage in it, but they are not being forced to engage in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I agree. With, I like that a lot. Yeah, like flashbacks, memories, um, letters, any any form of media that or medium that tells you information, but doesn't. It's not happening in the moment, you know, when you yeah. are. But at the same time, that removes an element of immediacy when when you see something happening in front of you and you are unable to change it, that lends a feeling of powerlessness. Yeah. But that's dangerous yeah. so actually it's interesting that you bring up this particular session because i don't feel like i mean that was a difficult session but i feel like um the way you're describing it you feel like you made mistakes and at the time as a player who was part of that situation i didn't think that at all it totally yeah. it totally like brought the group together and it made us it gave us a unified goal and it like also showed us that this individual is very formidable. The part, the moment where I thought that something weird was going on and thought that things maybe hadn't been handled properly came way later. It came when we learned the motivations for that character. Yeah. And we suddenly had to turn right around and be like more understanding of them. And I remember I, as a player and my character especially, had a very difficult time with that. And there was another player, there was multiple other players in the party who had a difficult time with it. But specifically me and actually, funnily enough, Jerry, yeah, <laughs> to bring him back up into <laughs> Podcast 3, um, he also had a very difficult time with it. Yeah. Um, where we were like not willing to forgive this guy. You, you know, that, that, was, that was intentional. To be super clear, you, should, yeah. you, you shouldn't have, right? He, yeah. he made this decision poorly. That was the goal, right? I wanted no. you to feel and like he didn't successful. make he didn't he didn't make very smart decisions, right? Mm -hmm. He was trying his be he was living uh he was hyper intelligent, but he was just not wise, right? Yeah. But like that was like the goal for you to feel like he had good intentions but poor execution. What I'm and I I see that and I saw that at the time. What I'm saying is that that moment, that was the moment where I realized, oh, maybe when he did that Maybe we should have been able to stop him. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, maybe because I think we weren't able to, and I I had thought of that. That's fair. Um, okay. And so I was like, at that point, I was like, if he makes stupid decisions, that is a great character. Like, um, it's a it's a great characterizing like factor for him. Yeah. But if he makes stupid decisions that are ineffable and automatically succeed no matter what, then obviously that makes it easier to build a story around it and obviously as as you've said there was a lot of reasons that you structured the game that way but um it's hard it's hard because you want yeah. your characters to feel powerful and also like they need to do something right and people who feel ultimately powerful are also ultimately slothful they are ultimately lazy and and uh just they sit on their laurels i mean and and that's kind of what was happening to a certain extent. Like we were going through the motions in that campaign, but I really feel like that was like a, a, I don't know, like a forging moment for that group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I would be glad if, if that's the case, I am very glad about it because I think yeah. that, um, that was what I was intending. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, okay. So that's a, a good example. I feel like, 
you've you've described some things that you would rather do, put it into another medium or stretch it out over a long period of time, make it a monologue. Yeah. Because I, that was part of the problem is that character was just doing something, but they didn't talk to us. They didn't tell us anything no. that was going on. They didn't tell us why. Yeah. There were no reasons. They were just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have to do this, I have to do this. Yeah. Um, I think that was part of like kind of what was, you know, what had to happen in a certain sense, I guess. But yeah. like, you know, um, I think keeping there's there's a fine line between intrigue and uh, and not giving your players enough information, uh, which, you, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's normal. Oh, that's a big blind spot for DMs. Honestly. Oh, yeah. Oh, Speaking yeah. from experience, that's that's a really easy mistake to make where I'm just not just don't give somebody enough information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or I mean, you like, give somebody information that you feel like if you were playing, you'd yeah. be like, oh, that's so interesting. I can like totally follow this thread. And then yeah. the player's just like. I don't know what this is. I'm never going to think about this again. Yeah. Well, what 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 are like some of your biggest examples of that? Oh man, let me tell you the story oh, no. of the crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story from way back when, when I was an early DM, and this was one of my greatest flops. And this was also a very difficult session. Um, I had designed a whole quest line, an entire storyline, all the way down to, like, doing stat blocks for enemies. Honestly, it was, like, the most prepared I think I had ever been as a DM. And it's part of the reason that I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Because it all centered around the players wandering into this magic item shop, which they did, and looking at this crystal ball, which they did. And then the owner of the store being like, oh, that thing? Yeah, nobody I haven't sold that thing in like forever. It like people touch it and they get weird vibes basically and I I don't want it anymore. You can have it for free. And of course in my mind I'm like, "Oh, free crystal ball. The wizard will snatch this up and they'll they'll meditate with it and sleep with it and you know, like all kinds of stuff will take off from there." Nope. Players walked into that place. He said those things. They picked up that crystal ball and they threw it on the floor and smashed it. And the entire arc was over. Done. (laughs) The quest was done. And I, as a DM, at that point, was angry. That was a difficult session for me. That was um, also a moment that I learned a lot from. So that, I mean, that's like an archetypical difficult session. Or that's not even a difficult session. That's a difficult moment. Difficult couple minutes of role playing in which... um, the players are like, what did I do? And I'm just devastated. Yep. Uh, but I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about DM retaliation. I learned a lot about um, how to introduce storylines. And I also learned to always have a contingency plan. Yep. Um, Move around your possibilities. Yes. So going back to your scenario, uh, I mean, the solution may be... The solution I think I would use, which I definitely don't recommend for everybody and probably wouldn't have really worked, is to just not have those. Just Mm -hmm. never have the unkillable boss. Never have the fight that you have to lose. Yeah. But also expect people to – expect that to happen sometimes. Yeah. If you want a boss to be really hard, cool. Make a really hard boss. But don't then be surprised when the players lose. Have a plan for that. Yeah. I've made that mistake too where I just TPK'd. I just – Somebody like the barbarian went down, and after that, nobody had enough, uh, uh, like fortitude basically to soak yep. up any damage. And then the wizard, and then the rogue, and then everybody was gone, you know. Um, and you need to have a contingency plan for that because if that's how your 
game ends, which this is something that I still make mistakes on, and I think this plays into another um, another difficult moment that you and I share from Edia, from mm-hmm. my game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if you have it, it's it's two sides of the same coin. If you have uh, the ability, the players can always affect the situation, and there's never cutscenes. You know, there's never like things that happen. There's never railroading. Then you put your own story in jeopardy. It's a lot yeah. harder to develop story beats intentionally. Yeah. And it's easier to um, kind of like have that turn against the player. Yeah. And they become, uh, oh, well, the situation's never planned out. That means you're not always going to win. I'm actually a really big fan of that idea of like, oh, you're not always going to win. I like to have situations where my players can lose, can fail, and then the story goes on. Right. They don't just automatically die. The game isn't over. I think that's very interesting because that's something, again, going back to the medium of video games, which I think D&D is compared to a lot and which I compare D&D to a lot. um, I think that's something that doesn't really happen in video games. If you lose a fight in a video game and the story goes on, it was supposed to. You know, you were supposed to lose that fight. Yeah. And that kind of plays into this feeling of of like anger or frustration is actually that can kind of be tempered sometimes mm. by this expectation that players have. So in that moment that you're describing where Carrick was taken from us, yeah. I was angry and I was frustrated. Um and I was experienced enough as a player and as a, someone who plays D&D to know, oh, this could be bad. We might not get him back. But I think other players in the group who were maybe a little bit less experienced than me or maybe didn't understand the nature of D&D and how that can take form sometimes, they might have been a little bit less freaked out because there's a trope in a movie or a game or whatever, many other types of medium, where when the player loses or when somebody gets kidnapped or this happens or that happens, you can get them back. Right. Everything works out in the end, you know? It's rare that it doesn't. And if it doesn't, there's usually signs that it's not going to work out. Right. But the truth is, in D&D, maybe it, you shouldn't have that guarantee. Maybe yeah, it should no. be me- more like real life. And that plays into like realism in, in D&D. So this is something so, that I think we've talked about a little bit before. But like I think that sometimes as a DM, uh, there's like the, the fine line of like trying to get to that point where you give the players agency, but you've also put them up against a hard boss. But you just have to commit, right? Like because because yeah. if you don't, then you're not playing it straight. You know what I mean? Like because if, yeah. you, if you don't commit, then you're not being true. Um, but there are times when I also feel like maybe my preparation has kind of like made it so that I shouldn't commit. Right. So like there are like boss fights where I'm like, Oh my God, like I way overtuned this thing. Right. Like that's bad. Or like I way undertuned this thing and it's super unfulfilling to, to fight it. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's this incredibly hard line. It's never easy to look at it and be like, it's never easy to make a decision on that. I, I think in, in any respect, I don't think. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. Um, all right. So that's most difficult sessions to play or DM. I, oh, I have, uh, I have a couple other, but yeah, I'm, I'm, that's number one. Yeah. So I, I want, is it all right if I go now? Oh, Can please. I bring yes, one up? I would love that. I think there's a big one between the two of you that I'm sure we'll get to, or between, 
but between two of you between you and oh, i oh yeah sorry me and I morgan treeman yes of course yeah of course <laughs> oh yeah what morgan treeman what do you have to say about all this i have nothing to say i Fair am enough. a tree <laughs> that's actually a decent morgan treeman impression i'm having, having known the guy for nice you know time. most of my life <laughs> um, okay so the 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 situation that i want to talk about is a very difficult session that i played um as a player okay and this again goes back to um like how much agency do your players have in the game yep so because we were super ill advised um i once played a god campaign which, for those who do not know, a god campaign is where you build a god. I was a Baylor, which, again, for those who don't know, is a, I think, the most powerful type of demon, of, like, common demon that yep. occurs regularly. And I gave my Baylor a name. And we had, like, I think, like, 40 levels in classes because we were playing Gestalt, which means we were level 20, but we had all of the abilities from two different classes. Dear God. So I built, naturally, because I was still early on in D&D and this was all I would do back then, I built the biggest, strongest, meanest creature that I could think of uh -huh. who had absolutely no magic, no ranged abilities oh, to speak of whatsoever. Um, and then we began the God Campaign. And me being the avatar of all evil, um, I died immediately. Oh, no. Another one of the players had basically specced into ranger and wizard and done all of these strange things this was in uh version 3.5 of dungeons and dragons which for those who don't know was um absolutely rife with broken extremely exploitable character options <laughs> i mean there was more options than they possibly could have balanced in that game yeah um and so this person had somehow specced into wizard and ranger and maybe rogue i'm not totally sure they were an archer and they had this uh, impossibly tall tower that allowed them to shoot an arrow all the way around the world should they so choose. Wow. They also had these uh, magical items and enchantments that allowed them to see have basically have true sight which enables you to see anything all over the entire world. Huh. Um, and they could uh, use time stop uh, almost infinitely. Like I think something like what eight times around which, as you can what? imagine, gave them quite a few attacks. And so um, I angered them because I existed and they were a good god and I was an evil god. That's a podcast for a whole other time <laughs> is, is um, uh, you know, morality and, mm -hmm. and the alignment system. <laughs> Which is, uh, in my us. opinion, I'm not a big fan of the alignment system. Truth yeah, I think that whole podcast or whatever podcast that is a part of is just us. Yeah. Basically just just like, absolutely dunking just on the alignment it. system. Yep. yep. Um, so, but anyway, so this other player killed me in one second. He did all of my health, all of my insanely large health pool before I could so much as rage, before I could so much as do anything. Oh, dude. Um, and that has a lot of issues with it because, for one thing, the DM allowed that to happen. For another thing, yeah. we weren't even a party. We were all gods. Yeah. Like, how do you even play that campaign? It was right. very much PvP from the start. Um, but I lo I had spent, I mean, probably like two or three weekends working on this character, oh. building them, fleshing them out, figuring out how to keep track of all the abilities and everything, going through all of the technical, 
like analysis side of D&D, and I just lost them in one second. I didn't even get to roleplay them for a moment. It was over right away. And um, that also kind of probably a, plays into like the, the the players you play with kind of group as well. Yeah, that was very much typical of that group. That. Is just very cutthroat and and yeah, it was interesting because with regard to difficult sessions and like that feeling that you get when you've played a difficult session, I actually kind of think that that whole group did pretty much everything in their power to avoid that. But obviously, it still happens sometimes. Yeah. I mean, we we didn't role play. We didn't invest in our characters at all. Most of the time when a character died, they were just like, all right, I'm going to go roll an old, a new one and just make a new character right <laughs> away. There was no mourning period. You Dude, know, there was no dealing with the death. It was, we treated it like a video game. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, it wasn't a video game to me. I was proud of my Baylor god. I was excited to play them and I didn't get the chance because this other player was being a jerk. And I got in the real world, angry at that other player, which I think is justifiable. Yeah. I mean, that there's there's reason for that. And I got angry at the DM, and I went home, and we played later games, but I was not a part of that game uh, after that. Right. So that seems a little that's... ridiculous for that to just be like, I don't even know who you are, but I see you and you die. Mm-hmm. Yes. That seems yes. ridiculous. I mean, well, it was also ridiculous that the DM even set up that whole premise. The whole situation was just bad, I think. But, right. Um. So there's many reasons for that. But what I want to focus on is how I dealt with it. Sure. You know, and how I learned from it and and what it ended up meaning to me. Mm -hmm. Because all the rest of it was bad situation. Everybody's making bad choices all around the board. I had been excited to have influence on the world. I had been excited. That's that's kind of like what's interesting about higher level D&D is... Um, I think there's a lot of problems with higher level D&D. Let, let me not miss, wince, mince words here. But um, I, I think that a lot of the appeal is having strength, having the ability to influence the world in the way that you want. And that's what I was excited for. And I think that that plays into difficult sessions. When you don't have the ability to influence the world in a way that you want to, the world of D&D, or in a way that you have been able to previously, that's difficult. That's frustrating. Also, losing something that you're proud of, that's a really big source of difficulty in D&D, is becoming attached to a character, becoming attached to a story, and losing it. And that goes on both sides. That goes on DM and player. Not not to say that there's sides that are competing, because obviously there's not, but it comes from both angles i guess Mm -hmm. um yeah so that was that was my experience playing a (laughs) baylor yeah dude i mean so like when you when you dealt with that was it like did did you did you hold on to that for a long time like i know that there have been times where i've I've played D D and i've been like man like me playing this and seeing how this person reacts to the way that i'm interacting here is yeah. giving me some like like weird vibes and insight as to who they are as a person, right? Because like yeah. I've had instances where I'm like, "Why are you doing this?" Like I know you as a person, and this just feels weird for you to be doing this, right? Like, oh, that person was a psychopath, right. which I later discovered. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, again, not atypical of that particular group of teenagers, but um, okay. So another good example of this is Dave and the Nameless. Dave and the Nameless was a half orc gunslinger playing in the Pathfinder edition. Um, 
I played Dave in the Nameless for a long time. I loved him. He yeah. was phenomenal. He was not particularly strong, but he was cool. And we went to a new plane of existence. I think it was the plane of elemental water. And there was we were on the only island in the entire plane. And there was a giant cliff with like crystal clear blue water down below and it was beautiful and I was like oh David is super enthused so he like takes off his belt with his guns and his bullets and he drops his backpack and he drops his leather jacket and he drops his hat and he just jumps off this cliff directly into the water and the DM says okay well you fall 150 feet and you take this much damage and I was like wait what there's 150 feet you didn't tell me that and then he's like yeah and also there's sharks down there and they kill you what and robbed me of this character in one second that I had been playing for months, That's that I was insane. deeply emotionally attached to. Wait, so, um, like, you were punished because the DM didn't explain it well enough to you? Yes. Wow. And I was punished because um, the DM decided that that was a stupid thing to do. Just jump off this cliff and go swimming? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, that's pretty... I mean, I, so... You're here to so do a job. I, I guess... For me, that sounds like, okay, yeah, cliff diving swimming is a very common and uh, interesting adrenaline rush type of swimming, right? Yeah, um, and that's who Devin was. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense to me. But, like, if that comes from a place where, like, it, me as a DM, if something like that happens, I'm like, hey, guys, this is super tall. Like, I want you to be clear. I had this one game one time where uh, these two characters uh, basically had just been assaulted by an assassin who was trying to get information out of one of them, and they did. And then these two characters had to... um, Because it was either give the information or die, and, I mean, that's a pretty clear choice. Yeah. So, um, basically, what happened is they they realized, oh, afterwards, oh, well, like, we can follow that person. And they realized if they had gone the long way around and gone down this cliffside that they, they... would take like 40 minutes to get down there. But if they just jumped out the window, it'd take five seconds, right? But yeah. I was like, guys, I want to be super clear. This is a 200-foot drop. This is going to hurt if you do that. And they're like, yeah, we do it. And I'm like, okay, all right. I think they lived with maybe like two or three health, which was like insane for me. No, no. One of them uh, one of them wild-shaped because they were a druid, and they jumped off, and because they had that extra pool of health, it passed oh through the God. wild shape and then into them, and they had only a couple of hit points left. The other one just, like, wow. splatted on the ground. Didn't take massive Jeez. damage, though, but the, the druid was, like, got up, healed the other one, and said, okay, let's keep going. And they, they just ran after this person. <laughs> that's broken. I, that's it. <laughs> but, you know. Well, druids are insanely powerful. In my opinion, um, that's fair, but also the game is just doesn't function at that at that. And it, I think fall damage is a game mechanic that needs to be rebalanced. But I agree. also, that was a calculated risk that yeah. they took, and it paid off for but them. But here's the other thing: so. like I explain, I think the most important part there was me saying, um, "Look at this. I'm gonna explain yes. it to you again, so you know what decision you're making." Yes. And then moving forward with it. If you yep. have a game where, like, because that could lead me to give a player a game that they will hate forever, right? If I mm-hmm. if I say, okay, you do this, and they're like, wait, no, you didn't tell me it was 150 feet and that there were sharks at the bottom, then yep. I'd be like, oh, well, my apologies. Let's rewind really quickly. That is the case. Do you still want to make this decision, right? Yes. Because if your player didn't, if your, sorry, if your character didn't have that knowledge, they, like, why would they make that decision, right? Um, so I guess that's my, like, and I think that's a big, like pride as a DM 
is a huge influencer for possibility of having really bad sessions, right? Because I've seen a lot of DMs just like, like I'll hear horror stories of super prideful DMs who will be like, no, I'm, I'm God. Like I make all the decisions finally. Like, it's like, oh, this prideful DM doesn't like rogues having, you know, um, like cunning action. It's like, dude, cunning action is like half of what rogues do. Right? Yeah, if like, you're taking away a class's abilities or preventing somebody from doing something that they should be able to do right. or not describing a situation adequately, like, I fell off the cliff, I hit the water, I took a bunch of damage, and then instantly, that round, sharks, who apparently were already in combat with me, yeah. were right next to me and biting me and killing me. Right. No, other, None of the other players even had a chance to do anything about it. That's insane. And I, That's crazy. Sorry. Continue, yes. please. Obviously, with this situation and the last one I described, um, there are – it is very clear that the DM is not doing their job. Right. And that's where the fault lies. But still, it happened. And I want to focus – instead of that, I want to focus on the difficult session and how I dealt with it. Please, Right, as a player, because you're going to have difficult sessions as a player. Your DM is going to make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are going to be pretty bad and they're going to influence you directly. Yeah. And how are you going to adapt? We've talked about some things that the DM can do to remove difficult sessions, but what can the player do? So I made a new character named Zetra Demon Slayer, who was extremely edgy, and I continued playing in that game. But the whole rest of the time, I was very quiet and reserved, and I didn't do anything. I did practically no role-playing. I think the DM could feel that I had retracted from the scenario. Um, And I told myself that they deserved that. And maybe they did as a DM, sure. but it wasn't productive. It didn't make me have a better time. It didn't remove right. that difficult session. As a player, what I should have done and what I've learned to do now is talk about it. Yeah. Bring it up to them. Ask them, Super fair. why is this happening? And in the moment, I tried to. I tried to argue. I tried to be like, why are there sharks that are instantly attacking me? Why didn't you tell me that it was a deeper fall? Like, can I not jump off the cliff then? Um, and... Those fell on deaf ears. The player had, or the DM had seen red at that point. So I was, D- Davin was doomed. Yeah. Um, I but think, I th- that's a super important. I think that that's something that you and I have really, um, really tried to get better at as we play. As well, as we played together, that was important, right? Because um, yeah. we, at the time, it was, we were coming out of college and we were roommates. And so, um yeah. and so it was really easy for us to after games be like wow that was duh. that was rough that was that was hard mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so it was really good to just like talk about it but i think at the same time zach if you have dms that are prideful that have deaf ears right it's going to be way yeah. more difficult to try and communicate with them about those type of problems than it is like people who are actually putting a a uh, uh, a reasonable effort forth to try and have those conversations with you because consider if I would have had any of those moments where I DM'd you or you I that neither of us were willing to talk about it then like why were we even you know what what's what's the point right if one party is not willing to have a, a reasonable conversation and step away from yeah. pride or something like that it uh, it doesn't really give you the ability to have a conversation about all right, why did this happen? How can we remedy it in the future? How can we make our... Because, like, if, if you don't feel good about something, something's wrong, right? And, I mean, like... Absolutely. As, like, as like a grander scope. Because, like, of course, 
in D&D, you want to have moments where your players don't feel good, right? Because they like yeah. something bad happened, right? That's fine. If out of the game you're like, wow, like I'm uncomfortable with this group of people, that's when it becomes a problem. Because yeah. if you can't resolve that, then it becomes, okay, well, how do I interact with people that I do enjoy? And then like, you know, I you know, how can I, how can I find those, that, those moments in the game that I can enjoy? And at that point, you, you had had a conflict with the DM, right? And it was just, it was un, it was unreconcilable at that point. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a difficult situation to play with. And there's like a, a saying well, out there, you know, no D&D is better than bad D&D. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, I still, I regret the way that I acted as a player because honestly, I've spoken to that DM since then, and even during that campaign, they were apologetic for what happened to Davin. I, I, as an individual, am a consequentialist. I, I believe that people's intentions matter, but I am most fixated on the results of what people do right. and the beliefs that they hold and the way that they conduct themselves. So I, at that time, was uh, much more rigid in that and... Uh, uh, I made a mistake. I, I, the DM definitely made a mistake. They killed my character for no reason at all. Yes. Um, I don't know if he was mad at me. I don't know what was going on in that situation. Um, I was angry. I was frustrated. And yeah. I didn't stop being angry and frustrated for the rest of the game. Yeah. I, it took me a long time to move past it. I enjoyed playing Zetra at times. She was cool, but yeah. she wasn't Daven. Right. No, um, that, that can be hard losing a character like that. Well, but part of the reason she wasn't David, part of the reason she didn't get to develop is because I didn't move on. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. I think I agree with you. When the DM is cruel and, and you know, prideful, then, yeah, you're, you're, you can only do so much as a player. You can only come forward with your emotions. But if you as the – there's also a capacity for the player to do that and be that. And I was. I mm -hmm. was prideful. I was yes, I unwilling to come to the table and talk about it. Instead of trying to solve the problem, I, was, I just wanted it to be a problem. Right. And I wanted everybody at the table to know about it. Right. And I wanted the DM to know that I was angry and unhappy. Right. And I accomplished those goals, and retrospectively, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the time. It wasn't worth the energy. Right. Um, so that's the advice that I have to give when you're having a hard time with something that has happened as a player. Bring it to the table. Talk to your DM. Yeah. Um. And I should have done that with, with the the um, Baylor as well. I should yeah. have brought it to the table, talked to the DM, talked to the player. That was unheard of in that group. But um, maybe if I'd done that, I would have changed the dynamic of the group. I don't know. Maybe I would have been laughed at. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I'll never know now because right. I allowed that mistake to be a mistake instead of learning from it. Right, yeah. And, and to be super clear, um, just to make sure that we're on the same page, my comments were meant to say when you lose a character like that and they mean so much to you, it can embitter you. And absolutely. And sometimes as a person or as a player, it's, I, I don't think I want to shy away from the fact that it's hard to get over that. It's hard. Absolutely. Very hard. And I, I don't want to shame anyone for feeling like they're frustrated with that because if you're frustrated with that, it means that you cared. Right. But yeah. it's, I think that you, that coming full circle and going back around to your points, the reason that it's important to move on from that is because 
you have to allow that to be a moment that occurred, but not allow it to influence the entirety of, of you enjoying yourself. And, and I think that you, you really hit that on the nail or hit you hit that nail on the head very effectively. I hit the head on the nail. You hit the head nailed it. on the nail and you did you know it what? good. I nailed it, you, Alan. You nailed it. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say is like is I really think that um, – I've been embittered by that type of stuff before, and that causes me to play yeah. worse games, right? Like yeah. there, there was this group that I played with a while back, and it was just like it. I felt like things outside the group, uh, outside the game, were getting to me, and um, it was getting to me in game, and so it was harder for me to role play, and it was harder for me to interact Ugh. with that group outside of the game, and I closed in on myself, right? There was no. There was no point in that situation that I felt like I was just normal in that group. It felt like I was yeah. always trying to prove myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember when you opened up to me about it that sucked. particular group. And it was – you were in a bad space yeah. with that group of people. But it, it's hard dude, It's hard to get out of there, right? Like, it can I, be. It can like, be very like how hard. many weeks did I take, like, just telling you, dude, I'm so frustrated with this and I just really wish it would get better? Like, how many weeks did I tell you yeah. that? I don't know. It was it was months. It was, it was too a many. Long time you were right? in that you were in that space. It was too many, and it got worse and worse. It and did. then eventually, you were like, you know what? I'm done. I should just leave. Yep. Well, it got to a point where like both of the parties were just unhappy with how the situation was, and um, I think uh, without going into too much detail, we parted ways. But then um, it was better for everyone, right? Because we eventually were just like, yo, like, so, like this just isn't working out. This is just like the way that this is supposed to be going isn't how it's going. And we just need to figure that out, yep. but I think separately. And you know what? I have an identical experience. Yeah. What? I had an identical experience actually in that same period of time, maybe slightly before you. Yeah. I, so, I think I remember you I talking totally to you about that too, but I, I just want to validate anybody who's feeling that bitterness because mm -hmm. if you're si sitting here listening to people talking about getting sucked into that bitterness and being like, just leave, just get out of your bitterness. That's the way to solve the game. It's, <laughs> it's not, not easy. easy, right? No, it's, it's just not, not right? And, and I don't want to make that vibe felt. I want to make sure that everybody feels like those feelings are valid, right? And they are yeah. hard to separate from. So Absolutely. I, I think that it's it's always difficult to try and p bypass those situations. But if you have the chance, communication is really the only way that that will open up. And honestly, sometimes that communication is hard. Sometimes that communication leads to you guys just being like, you know what? Like, maybe this just yeah. isn't the best. Maybe we shouldn't yeah. be playing D&D together. That's okay, yeah. though, right? Because it is okay. sometimes you can have really great friends, really awesome friends, but they're just not good people to play D&D with for you, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be the case. But sometimes if you, if you don't address that soon enough, you can lose both scenarios at the same time. And that's sometimes the yeah. worst way to do it. But um, I think that I just want to make sure that everybody feels like those feelings are valid, right? And I don't think that you should feel bad if you're feeling that bitterness. Just maybe take a breath, take a step back, look at that, and try and think about what's going good for you. Um, but yeah, Zach, I remember when you were talking, we were talking about this situation with you, and it's, it's hard, right? Because like, especially when you play with a group of people for so long or you're friends with them for so long, it can be incredibly difficult to try and separate that because it feels like a lot of sunken cost, right? In that friendship, yeah. right? So, I mean, wh why don't you go ahead and you, you tell me about that a little bit. This plays into evil campaigns and evil characters because uh, that's what it was. And I think we're going to talk about that more later on. So I'm sure that this story will come up again later. Um, it also plays into power 
and what the players told they're able to do and what the player is actually able to do and railroading the player having story beats and also overpowered players. Um, it's, you know, it's just it's a whole mishmash sure, of sure. problems. There was a lot of issues going on with that game. Yeah. Um, but I played more than one game with this particular group of people um, and I had met them through school and uh, it was a revolving door. It was not the same group of people the whole time. There was me and one other person, and I played more than one game with some of the other people who came through that door, but generally there was a very high turnover rate. And I quickly realized that's because the DM was not particularly interested in the players or the characters they were creating. They were interested in the story that they were trying to tell. In more importantly even than that, they were interested in death. Yeah. In killing, in sadism, hence the evil campaign. Yeah. Um, I am someone who is not afraid to portray the darker elements of humanity and the darker sure. elements of a character. But my character in that particular evil campaign was too powerful. There's something to be said for having a, a you phrased it this way recently, a, a Nick Fury of a group. Sure. Someone who, a character who brings everybody else together. I was more like Sauron in that game. Okay. I was ineffable, or I should have been. Yeah. And there were many situations where I became frustrated because there were things that I felt I should have been able to do because they were on my character sheet. And the DM would say that, no, you can't do that. And... Um, similarly, that was a game where people were discouraged from role-playing, but I had evolved as a player to a point at, uh, where I was ready to role-play. And so I was creating characters who role-played. And to me, an evil character who doesn't role-play is just a murder hobo. Right, yeah, So when you put my character, who was evil through and through, but very well-developed and had reasons for everything he was doing and had this network basically of of relations to the world when you put that in a game with a bunch of other murder hobos Mm -hmm. with names and guns and that's it it just was not a compelling situation for me and ultimately there were other things going on with that group and where ultimately i took a step back and i said i've come from a very dysfunctional group of people I've come from a very dangerous group of people. I've come from a a group of people that I am not, um, I don't remember them fondly. Mm -hmm. And I am recreating that in this new stage of my life where I'm at college. And I'm not about it. And so I moved on. And I put that group of people behind me. And I don't regret that at all. Um, Because that was a good situation where, yeah, I as the player, I could have come forward. I did come forward talking about this stuff. And it was just, yeah, yeah, no, I totally get you. I totally get you. We'll try and fix that. And then nothing changes, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't have a whole bunch more to say about that until we talk about the Evil Campaign podcast. I I think that um, most of what was dysfunctional about that had to do with the morality aspect. Yeah, I mean that can be really difficult, right? Especially if you're if you're misaligning with the group of people that you're playing with on like what you're wanting yeah. to get towards, right? That can be incredibly yeah. difficult to overcome, right? Especially with the DM, right? Because if the DM has a strong sense of the morality of what's trying to be said, then anything that is dissonant from that is not necessarily looked at as a 
favorable outcome by the DM. And that can be really hard to, um, yeah. to bypass as a player unless you talk to that DM. And if you're talking to that DM and nothing's changing, then like it, it sounds like the strategy that we've apparently identified as a good one is not mm-hmm. a reasonable plan of action. And if you start running out of plans of action, then it, there, there's very few things you can do. Aside from leave. Right. Exactly. I, I really don't regret leaving that game. I left yeah. that game and I made a new group and um, that group eventually evolved into something beautiful. Yeah. In and out of like at the table and away from it. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, led to a bunch of really big improvements in my life. So yeah. it was a good decision. It yeah. was me evolving slowly and then realizing, no, nah, I'm just going back to the old ways yeah. and leaving. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Alan. Oh, there is. A particular character, a particular story around centered around Edia that I think was very difficult for both of us, but especially for you. And I think we've kind of been circling it. Sure. And maybe it's time for us oh, to bring no. that up. What do you oh, think? no. I don't want to address trauma, Zach. How could I? Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of mixed feelings about this one. Yeah. Uh, coming from the background that I yeah. came from or that I have come from. How does grammar work? Um, I don't know. You're the English major. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I may I make mistakes as DM. Sure, we all do. I definitely do. The the ways that I learned to DM were not productive ways, and I think I've made mistakes with this character, especially the ending. Mm-hmm. But just in general, your characters in my campaigns have a theme which we laugh about, um, but maybe yeah. I should take more seriously. They have a theme in which they get destroyed and ripped apart. That's true. And I will say. That there is an element of that where you roll worse than any other player <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. I have never played it's... D&D with someone who has <laughs> luck worse than yours, Alan. It's, it's actually horrifying to anyone who... <laughs> I. Oh my gosh. This kind of ties back to like the bosses that I was playing the other week. And it's just like, eight, yep. two, five, two, two. It's like, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Every time... Every time I'm like, what'd you roll? You're like, I'm dead. <laughs> no, seriously, that character I think rolled more. I That was, I think, the first character that I ever rolled a negative number with. It was pretty amazing. I, I think I, if I rolled a natural one yeah. on um, wisdom rolls, I had a six wisdom uh, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, think I had a six uh, wisdom. And, and so it was just like... Down. Or no, I had a seven wisdom. So it wasn't like terrible, but like I was stuck in a certain way, right? Oh, and there were wisdom rolls up the yin-yang oh, yeah. in that particular campaign, oh, yeah. especially early on. So th- yeah. there were a couple times when I rolled literal negative ones. Like, yep. like, like I would look I at you and be like, what'd you roll? Guy. And you would just be like, just please move on. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, I mean, that's fair. But dude, like it has not yep. stopped with you. That's not man. all of it. It. That, like I'm playing in another campaign that's actually being DM'd by Jerry now, and I was just like, "Cool!" Like we got to this thing where like I had this character that I really like, and he's like, "Guess what? I take away all of the things that make your character cool because you are not learning a lesson." And I'm like, "Okay, I hate this. I am in so much pain. I am in emotional turmoil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like." <laughs> yeah I, I don't know uh so like for half of the campaign that i played the character uh his name was malak uh in mm-hmm. in in edia 
that name phenomenal if, character. If by anybody the way. just heard that deep sigh that Zach just did, it was because the name alone brings back frustration and good memories at the same time for both of us, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe we should do a quick predecessor and talk about what Malak should have been, what you think Malak should have been, sure. what I think Malak should have been. Sure. Um, I think Malak, honestly, if I if I step back and like in the entire time that this was occurring, this was I knew this was the case, right? I played Malak as a foil to Jerry, um, Jerry's character Raven, right? And my whole goal as Malak was to stay the same to be stalwart in my beliefs and in the way that I existed uh, so that Jerry had someone to revolve around. That was like my whole goal, right? And I enjoyed playing that. Um, but I think at the same time, it was really hard sometimes because there were at the low points, I could be like, man, like I want to do my own stuff. But like yeah. I was, but it was just like in the way that I had built the character. Um, but I think Malak was supposed to be this character that that Raven could really revolve around and become something more, right? Because Raven was supposed to be this character who was going through this tumultuous time of examining their religion, their faith, everything. If I had, yeah. like, if I had the most perfect ending for those two characters, Raven would have been like, Malak, I respect you. I think that you are doing what you need to but like, I don't think that I can stay around you anymore because you are holding me back. And yeah. and Malak would have been like, that is very reasonable. I don't expect you to like stay here. Uh, Malak was supposed to be something that Raven could 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 gauge himself off of, right? When Malak mm -hmm. was constantly Older like, brother. when Malak said, you know. Um, we don't show any skin on our torso and Raven ripped like never wore a shirt again. Malak was super mad at him, but that was cause you know, that was how it was supposed to be. Right. And yeah. um, you know, when Raven would do things that Malak didn't approve of, Malak would say like, why are you doing this? This is what we were taught. This doesn't make any sense in incongruence with that. And Raven would have something to revolve around. Right. And so I think the part that, that made it yeah. so difficult for me was that Raven never got to have that final perspective and they both got stuck in this kind of purgatory of just not being the fully realized characters that they were supposed to be. Malak was supposed they died to ahead of their time. Yeah. Malak was supposed to be this really like, like the ending for Malak was Malak was just supposed to be like, Holy shit. I just played through some of the craziest things in my life and I didn't learn anything until it was all over. Yeah. And, Raven was learning the entire time, right? And so he was. the whole thing about Malak was like he was supposed to watch this and then like 2020 Vision realized that like life had passed him by, but he never got to realize that, right? There was some yeah. very difficult stuff towards the very last session um, that a lot of things were crazy. A lot of things went really sideways really quickly. Um, but they like did. The, yeah. the final thing that happened to Malak was like I think that like the last thing that I ever did as Malak was like ridiculously brutal. I don't really know if we want to get too far into it, um, because I think that I'd love to have a series about Edia in general. Um, yeah, and this is pretty central to that, right? But yeah, I think that it's it's relevant because it doesn't. It, it's necessary for the entirety of this podcast. Um, so, do you want to kind of go over the overview of the ending of that game? Yeah. 
Um, first, I want to give my perspective. See, <laughs> an interesting thing that happened in that game was you wanted to be this this point that Raven could revolve around, and I liked that dynamic, but I also wanted you to evolve. I wanted Malak to change who he was. Yeah. So you guys got put through the meat grinder. You really did. You, um, Your characters were uh, initially kind of like leaders for this this whole community of people who were exiles from their homeland religious exiles um and you were seeing this whole new world that you didn't know existed and you were trying you were doing your best to lead them through it and find this heaven that was prophesized um and it was your memory many of her memories were damaged or missing and so you weren't ever totally sure you got there right and Things went back and forth a lot. I wanted Malak to be confronted with the reality of the world, with um, the fact that he uh, he did horrible things in the pursuit of his his uh, like this heaven, right. in the pursuit of his afterlife. Yeah, and I wanted him to be confronted with those, and I wanted him to be confronted with the fact that he was not the apex being of the world. You know, his people were not the premier people of the world; they were just some new ones. They were just like everybody else, basically. I wanted to prove to Malak his own mortality. I wanted to prove to Malak um, the folly of his his perspective on the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And so this led to a lot of different dynamics going on um, surrounding these two characters and the game that they were that we were playing. Um, ultimately, this is a great example of too much agency in the game, of me allowing anything to happen, and also of me not having a contingency plan. Malak and Raven wound up as two players in this climactic battle with a individual that you all knew was bad, but were wildly underprepared to fight. And I think you had some notion that you were wildly unprepared to fight them, maybe partially because out of game I kept saying it. Um, but the degree to which uh, your you were unprepared was steep. This particular individual um, was the final boss of a campaign that is supposed to take years to play. Um, you are supposed to fight this individual named Saris at very high level. This individual is the culmination of hundreds of thousands of like generation after generation of extremely powerful mage. They are capable of casting epic level spells. And they cast an epic level spell on you of my own design called Greater Dispersion. And greater dispersion does that. It disperses you. Mm-hmm. It prevents you from taking countermeasures ever um, until the end of time. It doesn't directly kill you. That's too simple. It teleports you into dangerous scenario after dangerous scenario. Sometimes they're personal. Sometimes they're not. In Malek's case, it separated him from the rest of the group. Um, it separated many of the group members, and it brought them together again in different scenarios and combinations. Mm-hmm. Um how this was going to work was you had a very powerful ally on your side who was trying to prevent this spell, who was trying to undo it. Um, and they would succeed after three encounters. So you had to survive three encounters. You had to either escape them or neutralize them or do something. Um, 
Raven was teleported into the lair of an ancient red dragon who chased him, fought him um, initially, and then chased him and ultimately killed him. Um, that was not something I had a contingency for. It was not something I had a plan for. It was something I should have had a plan for. Um, your character, Malak, was teleported to your homeland along with another NPC, and you went up against a trio of very powerful orcish ancestors. Unfortunately, they were spectral, so the NPC, who had no magical weapons whatsoever, was unable to damage them or affect them in pretty much any way. That left just you. The NPC died quickly on his own. Um, I didn't railroad that. I didn't railroad this scenario. I uh, did not pull my punches. And Malak died not understanding the people that he was fighting or why he was fighting the ancestors of orcs, when in reality it was because he had potentially done horrible things to their ancestors and that was why they were there. But I digress. The point of it is that after telling this beautiful story, this whole story of somewhat struggling to evolve, to change, to adapt to the world around them, Malak died face down in the dirt thousands and thousands of miles away from any allies. Mm-hmm. from his brother yep with no real effect nobody even knew for a long time yeah um ultimately they did know that had to do with the epilogue of the story which i'm sure we'll get into another time but yeah raven also died in a much more epic way which jerry the player was more content with i think but still very problematic yeah. it had nothing to do with anything they just succumbed both of them to the power that they were up against yeah um Again, not my finest moment as a DM. I think there were better ways to handle that, even if I put you into that same situation. I wanted you to feel desperate. I wanted the stakes to be high. Mm -hmm. But the way that I described it in the moment, you weren't even totally sure it was real until they were already gone. Yeah, no, I I remember expressly talking to Jerry about it as he was sitting next to me. And he was just like, like, I don't know what's going on. And I was like, me neither. I think it's all in our heads. And like, like... I, I refused to believe that that was the case because I was just like this, just like, like it just does not compute with me that that could be a possibility because it felt so yeah. like I, I could understand his, right. It's like fighting a red dragon. Yeah. Cool. But like, I was like fighting some dinky ass orcs. Right. And it was like, yep. oh man, like really, this is how it ends. Yeah. Come on. This is how I, this is how it ends after the, uh, after the, the, the cabin over the desert, man. Yeah, that was rough. That was such a hard. That was hard because it was juxtaposed with such like such deep and emotional moments, right? And it was. It was too real. That was a moment where I made it too much like the real world because it is possible for things like that to happen in the real world. They happen right. often, but yeah. that's not a good way to tell a story. Well, I mean, but sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not, right? Like because I think that. I mean, I'm never going to forget those characters, right? I think that it's pretty That's clear true. that um, even the most recent campaign that I wrote is like a love letter to those characters, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think there could have been things done differently, but y- it was I it was hard because I think at that point you had kind of been like you you had gotten to a point where you told me, and p- please correct me if I'm wrong, and I, d- I don't mean to, to misrepresent your emotions, 
Um, but you had told me that at that point you had kind of checked out as a DM, like, like you had all of these things prepared and, uh, you had already killed Raven in that session and you got to me after, uh, after a certain number of things and, uh, you killed my character and then I was just like, what's going on? And then you just said, yeah, I just like, I checked out because I physically couldn't process those things emotionally at that point, or else I just like couldn't run the game. Speaking of difficult sessions, there are moments as a DM where you have to do things you really don't want to do, where you, where a character is dying and you don't want that character to die. And maybe that's a really good sign of like, hey, something is funky here. Something is going wrong. <laughs> which I didn't pick up on at the time. But yeah, I I had it in my head. This is the situation. This is what's going on. I just have to get through it. I have to be impartial, you know? There right. are things that you want as a DM to happen sometimes. And that goes both ways. Sometimes you want to punish the players and you have to be like, okay, I have to come back to center and I have to be impartial. Yep. I'm supposed to represent the world, not play a part in it, right? Right. Um, And... Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes you're like, I really want to not punish the players, but I have to be impartial. I have to show that there's a threat here. That's what's going on in the world. And that's how I felt in that moment. And it wasn't what I wanted from the situation. What I wanted from the situation was I wanted you to fight those orcs. I wanted uh, you to win. I wanted Raven to escape that dragon. He only had to survive a couple, like make it a couple hundred more feet and he would have escaped. And then he would have been teleported along with you to a uh, graveyard or to the, the spirit realm, I think where you would have had to fight past versions of yourselves, which were the ones who did the unspeakable acts. Mm-hmm. Um, I had more planned. I had, I had, I was ready for more to happen. I, I didn't expect you to die alone there. Nobody did, but it happened. Yeah. Um, and I let it happen. And um, there was a lot of warning signs leading up to that, I think that I should have picked up on. I think when I was writing those encounters, my emotional state was perhaps a little bit compromised. Um, there was a lot going on That's behind okay. the scenes. Yeah, that, you know, it happens. I understand. Yeah, it does. Um, it was no way to end a campaign. There, that, that was two of the characters. There were three other characters. It didn't end well for them either. And again, we'll talk about that in a later podcast, but... Um, the, what happened to Malak specifically was the worst of anybody. And I remember I remember checking out. I remember being like, all right, I have to take all these emotions that I'm having about this moment and I have to put them in a box and I can deal with them later. But right now I have to focus on these numbers and I have to focus on running this game. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I think that maybe that was a mistake. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe um, – Taking more stock of those emotions and realizing how I feel. Maybe I should have made it an illusion. That would have been an easy thing to do. Nobody would have been the wiser, right? Yeah. Um, maybe I should have made made it so that when you died, you just automatically moved on to the next one. You and Raven were both dead. You, it would have made a lot of sense for you to go to the spirit world and fight the next encounter. There were things I could have done to get around it. But there came a point where I looked over at you... And I saw the expression on your face, and I realized that the damage was done, and that now, if I retconned it or came up with something, in a way that would cheapen everything even further. Yeah. And I I guess I thought that, I'm not sure if I still think that, that's very complicated. Um, It's hard to know in the moment. It is hard to know in the moment. Because when your player dies and you're just like, oh yeah, but actually it was all a dream, haha. 
then it cheapens that it. sucks. That sucks in every medium. That sucks in D&D. That sucks in video games. That sucks in movies. That sucks in everything. Yeah. A character death happens sometimes. A player death happens. When it happens, you hope, and the way to do it correctly if it has to happen, is for it to be a pivotal point in the storyline. I mean, look at, to, to plug something else, look at Critical Role in the death of Molly Mock, right? Oh, yeah. For those who uh, hopefully, you know, spoiler alert, um... Regardless, Molly Mock died, and all of the, the players rallied around it. It was horrible, and it was very traumatic for the player and for many of the other players and characters, but they all remember it, and it was important. Raven died, and it all it did was influence his endgame, and I don't think anyone ever really found out how that had happened. It just kind of happened in a closet, you know? The Raven's death and Malak's death? Or I'm sorry, Malak's death. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did, right? Like, And those characters did evolve from that. There was a post-death resurrection that happened years down the line. Hundreds um, of years down the line. Yes. And it how you died and how things had gone down very much influenced you. Yeah, it affected how we played the rest of the game. Point. It did affect it. But um, that has left a scar <laughs> on the memory of that game, for me at least. Yeah. It really has. I would say so. I, I mean, I think it's hard to get around it when we talk about it, right? Because yeah. that type of stuff is, um, you know, it's hard when, when you want to have those really good games and the final sessions of a game are always really difficult because um, you want to give they players are. what you want, but like, or what, what they want, but it's never, I mean, you don't also just want to hand it to them because then like, what are they even fighting yeah. for, right? Oftentimes, there's kind of a tolling of the bell at the end of a campaign, especially a long-running one. There's kind of a, a moment where um, sacrifices may need to be made or tabs need to be evened up. I've had that in your campaign as well. And uh, sometimes there's a noble NPC there to take the fall, and sometimes there's not. I mean, there was an NPC with you, but there was no way he could have taken your fall because he had his own to take, and you guys had just met. I mean, it was a weird situation. He didn't even see you die. You just died. Yeah. Malik just died. Yep. He just got unlucky. He just went to the wrong situation. And there's a there's a million things that the player could have done, or the players could have done. There's a million things the DM could have done differently. Um, not had you fight the same villain from previous campaigns when the villain for previous campaigns was for epic level characters yeah. and you guys were not epic level. Yeah. Um, I could have uh, done many things to change it. Also, the players could have not fought that person, not gone into that dangerous place. I think also there was a constraint of time for that particular campaign. I wanted to end it quickly and that propelled everybody to their doom a lot. And I really regret that. Yeah. Um, I, I actually remember um, as we were going into this final fight, or maybe even a little bit after or before, it really was kind of amorphous. It was around that time. I remember talking to you and you being like, Alan, like, here's the, the long and short of it. I've had this character sheet since the beginning of the game. I know what I know who you're fighting, and I've known since the beginning of the game. Nothing has changed. Yep. The entire time, you've been fighting the same person. They've been the same exact character the entire time. And yep. I, I'm not changing it. It's the same way. 
It's going to be yeah, the same way. I think that may have been a mistake. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's cool, right? That's some, Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad, right? Because, like, that's that's kind of like laying into that uh, that commitment thing, right? You want, it to, you want to feel like you're not pulling punches, but at the same time, sometimes it's right to adjust things, right? Mm-hmm. So... Like, like, I think if you're gonna do that, there's things you have, there's steps you have to take as a DM. Yeah, you have to plaster that character's name over the world. You guys have to know who that person is the whole time, and you have to be afraid. I have to create fear for that character in you. You have yeah. to know, oh, this person's strong. Yeah, and it's it's hard as a DM to telegraph that kind of stuff sometimes. You guys. I feel like I left a lot of signs, but again, there's a disconnect between the DM and the player. And and if if people aren't picking up on that, those signs, there's not a lot. I mean, first of all, it's hard to know that as a DM. But also, it can be hard to perceive what's important and what's not important as a player. Yeah. We didn't, going all the way back to the abduction of Carrick, we, we didn't get how powerful Lancelot was. Lancelot was the person who took Carrick yeah. until that moment. That was a good defining moment for us where we realized what was going on. Yep. On I agree. That level. Yeah. Um, I think there were times where I really wish that I knew more about Ceres, um, because mm-hmm. I, I was looking for those and being like, man, like, I feel like I know all of the henchmen. Um, I feel like I, I have a very strong, uh, emotion towards them, but then there's like this person that runs them. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh wow. I just have no, I just, don't, yeah. I just don't understand the major happening. The major characterizing moment, right, for Ceres was you guys raided a prison that belonged to her, and you had this very powerful follower, this NPC named Gauthak. And um, as you were leaving, you went through this portal, and Ceres teleported to that location, stuck her hand through the portal as it was closing, and touched Gauthak. And he died, and everyone he was related to died. And everyone who had ever been related to any of those people died. Yeah. She cast an epic level spell on him called Familicide. And that, I was hoping, would give you guys an inkling of, hey, maybe this is someone that we shouldn't mess with. Or if we are going to, we should know everything that we can about them. Yeah. Um, But it was hard. It was hard. But, I mean, at the same time, that was like an... We didn't have any idea that that was Ceres until so much later. That's true. Right? And yeah. so... It just happened. It Yeah, it just happened out of the blue, and we were like, what the fuck just happened? Like, how... We don't even know, right? And at that point, yeah. we were like three quarters through the game. Yeah, that was late. There, you That was a big part of it. You didn't have time. You didn't have the time to do what you needed to do. Yeah. You as players should have had more space to learn who Ceres was, learn about the army that was sweeping over Galia, learn about... Um, where it had come from and what was actually going on, but um, we didn't have time for that, and yeah. that's how that played into that yep. moment of weakness as a DM. I agree. Yeah, and, and it's hard, right? And I think that was probably one of the most difficult sessions for, um, you know, for me as a player too, because um, I saw a lot of that attachment from both. So none of the other players in that game really died ever uh yeah i think i'm i think that's fair to say um but me and me and jerry me and uh malak and raven were the only people that actually died died in that campaign yeah um and i was trying to just be like i i looked at it um 
Jerry, I think if he came back now and he had the perspective of a DM, I think he'd have a different perspective. But dude, Jerry was just like, he felt robbed, man. He felt yeah, he, fucking he was. robbed. And he wasn't initially. That's what was interesting. I don't know if he really did feel robbed initially or if he was putting on a tough face or what it was. But initially he was like, well, I died fighting a, a ancient red dragon. That's pretty badass. Yeah. Well, and then later that changed. No, because I, I don't think I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember him like like he was like, OK, I need to talk to Zach about this. Like he sent you an entire document with arguments about like about him being like, what yeah. is happening here? He did. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that now. So but that was that was later. And it, I'm talking about initially right in the moment of the yeah. session. He was like, ah, I think it know, was also whatever. a little bit of like denial and me saying this can't possibly Perhaps. be happening. Right. Like, yes. It's not possible. Like that our characters that we put so much effort into just like die like dogs. Right. That's yeah. I was like, that couldn't have been the way that it happened. But Ultimately, it was, and I think that it was a little, a lot of reconciliation. And I had to bring Jerry back a couple times, just be like, "Hey, man, like we just gotta like just it's okay, we're all right, everything's fine. We just gotta talk about it and and move on, yep. right?" Yeah. And emotional I think emotional whiplash. It it still hurts to this day, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's that doesn't mean that it like it wasn't worth it for the hurt to occur, right? Like I think that I think that it. It means that, you know, we can look at it and we can learn from this too, right? Yeah. So I think that um, we can still be upset about it, but I'm not like upset at you, Zach. Like, like you're, you're a human being, right? Like I'm not, I can't, I can't sit here and be like, oh yeah, like Zach's terrible because he made a mistake in D&D one time. Dude, like, that's okay, right? I'm going to make mistakes. I make mistakes, right? Um, and, and I think if we, if we hold that over each other for too long, um, I think that's a big part of, you know, like talking to each other as DM and player, if you don't communicate about that kind of stuff, it can really dig too deep. And I think the one thing that we had as we came out of that campaign was we really needed to talk. And I think we talked a lot. Um, I did talk a lot. I think we should have talked more. I think the three of us should have talked more as like a group, but I agree. sadly we were out of time. We were out of time. So, but we tried with what we could. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, we should so, have talked more about it. Should we talk about, um, well, I kind of want to talk about the ending of EDI. Please. Yeah. Like go ahead. Go ahead. Let's the do epilogue. that. Well, the problem with that is that it's very dark. So I just want any of our listener listeners to know, this this is going to a dark place. Yeah. Um, so big big content warning. There's content yeah. warnings for um, self harm. There's content warnings for disassociation. Um, there are content warnings um, for, for mass violence. For yeah, grotesque and massive violence from this part forward. So um, yes. if you if you've been with us to, through the podcast up until now. Uh, thank you so much for listening with us. But uh, that, it, just so you all know where we're going, that is an important thing to um, to consider as you move forward in this podcast. Yes, because like sometimes this stuff gets really crazy, right? And sometimes it's it's hard to really analyze the situation fully without kind of staring yeah. the really bad stuff in the face. You, Absolutely. You know? Um, so, and again, this is a bigger podcast to talk about, and it will definitely be brought up there, right. there again. Right. But yeah, please, yeah, to kind so, of Zach, go ahead. To to 
to run you guys through the synopsis of it. There was a player named or a character named Gru who had a blood curse, a malignant blood curse named Roskrov. She had an ancestor named Roskrov who was um, a, a very powerful uh, a witch, basically, a very powerful shaman. And they were able to um, basically use that power to curse everyone who bore the same blood as them so that they became immortal. They were always a figment in the back of the mind of the eldest daughter, whomever they were related to, um, and they would manifest in times of anger. Basically like a really, really evil Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> that was genetic. That was like you couldn't turn disease. back from. Yes. And Gru grappled with this uh, for a while in the campaign. But part of the problem was that when Gru died or fell unconscious, Roskrov would seize control. And so at the same time that Malak was teleported elsewhere and Raven was teleported elsewhere, Gru and I believe the other two characters, yes. the last two characters, which were Kern, a, a um, wood gnome mm-hmm. archer, and uh, Chenna, who is a merfolk. A, the, in, in Edia, they're called Pythians. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a sorceress. While they were fighting these ice giants, they got teleported to this enclosed ice cavern that was thousands of years old. And there was something important in that room, but they never discovered it. Um, and they ended up fighting these guardians, these ice giants. And Gru fell in combat and then got back up as Roskrov and annihilated every ice giant while Kern and Chenna hid. And then they teleported elsewhere. And I didn't tell them what happened because Gru was not conscious Roskrov was. So no one even knows what the second thing that Gru did was. Essentially, what ended up happening was the spell was ultimately reversed. They were brought back to this final site. Um, and I had everybody roll to see who came back first. Kern was still alive and awake. Um, Roskrov was still alive and enraged. Chenna was still alive, and I believe bleeding to death. Yes. Yeah, she was. Raven and Malak were both dead. Uh, I actually um, remember exactly how this went, if you want me to go with it. Yeah, you can You can step in here. So there was well. a, um, a specific event that was happening. Um, uh, revived again was Galthak, that character that we had lost a long time ago. We had reversed the spell upon him and allowed him to come back. And there were three NPCs that we were traveling with. One was Halix Drogma, uh, Pillyskin, I can't remember his last name, and then Galthak Thunderfist. And um, what happened was uh, Raz Krav was the one who got teleported back first. And then Chenna... By chance. Yeah, Chenna got teleported back second. And Several minutes later. Yes. And then Kern got teleported back mere maybe turns after Chenna. Um, yes. Because uh, Kern had gone through and experienced a whole secondary um, tr- like trial after that. Yes. And yes, what happened was there was no information given to any of the players up until Kern got there because... Um, cause Chenna was unconscious and Grulok was taken yep. over by Roskrov. 
So I was doing roles in the background because Roskrov came back and being a creature of malevolence and bloodlust just attacked. Yep. And Pillyskin was the one reversing the spell, so he needed to remain undisturbed. So Halix and um, Galthak tried to fight her off. And Halix died. Like instantaneously. He died immediately. She ripped him apart. And then... And these were very powerful characters, but Roskrov was kind of an unstoppable force. Again, think evil Hulk. Um, and then Galthak held Roskrov off from Pillyskin and then also from the body, the unconscious form of Chenna yep. for a long time. Chenna like had to roll minutes. death saves, I believe. Yeah. And rolled to stable and stable managed to stabilize herself. Um yeah, and it got down to the point where, where she rolled death saves her. to save herself, and she yep. was eventually stable, but during this entire time, Galthak was defending her unconscious body and Pilly skin. So Yes, and fighting this losing battle against this, uh, this regenerating, unstoppable force. Yeah. Um, and so then Kern came back, hid initially, but then realized what was going on and was able to fly just him and Chenna. Also... Kern came back, hid, and then saw Raven and Malak's dead bodies come back, I believe. Oh, yeah, they were um, they were actually fighting on the enemy side at that point. They were. That's right. I forgot about that. That's maybe how Halix died. No, that was how Halix died. Remember. Yeah, they killed Halix. Yeah. The, the, essentially, the, the trials had gone on, so Malak and Raven had been teleported to the spirit realm to confront their evil sides the people that they had become in their first life um and then those people given that malak and raven were already dead just inhabited their bodies they basically became revenants and then they came back and they killed halix um and roskrav came back and fought i think roskrav killed then halix and malak the revenants and then roskrav fought galthak and finally kern realized what was going on saw that there was not a lot that could be done and was able to fly the unconscious body of, or resurrect Chenna, or reawaken Heal. Chenna, not yeah. resurrect. Heal, yes. And then and then they were able to fly away. Yeah, and then Kern cast fly on both of them, and they just flew away. They escaped. Yep, and at this point, when Kern finally came back and saw the situation, Galthak had had his arm ripped off, and he was fighting with... He just told you to go. No he arm, he was go. just, like, screaming this, like intense amount to just leave and yep. uh and yeah it was it was pretty brutal yes it got worse so at this point just to kind of give you a general gist of like the tone i would say it was somewhat akin to the end of um infinity war when it everyone was, is dissolving what? it was so much worse than that for me on, it was like, pretty bad i knew that infinity war there was going to be a second movie made yeah that's the thing that's true there was no again going back to like oh but the good guy always wins no not in my games maybe like no (laughs) if you lose you lose so chenna and kern escaped and then later just like found out that roscrov had indeed over eventually overpowered galthak and pillyskin and killed them and ate them and then roscrov set about Killing and destroying and eating everything in the surrounding area. No one was able to f- beat her back permanently. 
she was and as she ate more and more people she became more and more powerful and more and more unstoppable eventually this actually became the foil to Ceres Ceres was invading this continent but gave up because Roskrov was just too much yeah it was just too much of an unstoppable force Chenna and Kern both had a kind of epilogue of their own where they did what they wanted to do and they lived out their lives but Wood gnomes live a very long time, and Chenna, being a sorceress, discovered magic um, that involved how to clone herself. Yep. And so she was able to live indefinitely. And we entered this very late stage of the game where things kind of went out to a macro level. Yep. Chenna and Kern both individually became supremely powerful. Chenna especially. Late level spellcasters are uh, <laughs> overpowered, to say the least. <laughs> um, and they ultimately came back. And when they came back to that continent, they discovered that Ross Krav had created a dominion. Um, and as contingency plans had bred with the dragonborn that she found there and created this entire new species of creatures called Roglings, who every single Rogling carried her blood, carried the blood curse. Yep. So she would go from Rogling to Rogling and always have a body to inhabit. Yep. And at this point, she had... Also, part of that is that the Roglings were much more susceptible to her curse than than Gru had ever been, or Gru's bloodline. Yeah. Because, well, Roskarov had yes. never been that powerful before then, and no. she gained so much power that afterwards the the Roglings were so much more pure in her curse that it was just... It was much easier for her to be able to control them. Yes. But the Roglings were not innately evil. They had some bestial traits, but they were still from Dragonborn. They were still people. They had lives and made choices. And yep. some were good and some were bad. And Chenna made a decision. Chenna and Kern made a decision. They knew that Gru was still, con or not conscious, but alive inside of Roskrov's because that version of Roskrov had not yet been destroyed. Um, and they killed her so that she could be dead. Well, and then they realized the breadth of the Rogling curse. Yeah. And they realized how much of a blight this was going to be upon the world. And yep. they realized what they had to do. Um, and this is where it gets really dark. They brought Raven and Malak back. Malak, um, maybe you should describe this part. Yeah. So Chenna eventually found a way to break between the realms, um, yeah. being such a powerful sorceress at this point. She was able to press her consciousness into the realms of death, and she went and in person talked to both Raven and Malak. And they essentially lived in this demiplane of just non-life and they th there was like there was a certain uh, understanding of like their ancestors are here and there's like something to that but at the same time it wasn't exactly what they had hoped for because long story short their goddess was killed and there wasn't really the same afterlife that they had intended to go to um and she said okay well we got to deal with the situation both malak and raven agreed um and Malak said, I will come back with you. And Raven said, I will come back with you if you remove my emotions from me, save for the ones that can help me assist you. And so um, Raven 
came back as a avatar of pretty much only malice, anger, and rage. And yep. he no longer was even the same person to Malak that was like his brother anymore. There was no kindness. There was no like um, brotherly love. It was like love. elemental hate. Yeah, all he was was hatred. And Malak came back fully. And this pretty much just like destroyed Malak because his the only thing that he ever found solace in was knowing that his brother was alive and that um, you know they could eventually work through things and get get moving. But it never happened for Malak. Um, yeah. Eventually, Chenna was so powerful that she raised mountains around the entirety of the continent that the Roglings lived on, and basically so that they couldn't escape, so that no one could escape. Right? Uh, these these like crags of rock that were so sheer that nothing can get over them, um, yeah. and the Roglings didn't really like have any wings or anything like that, so it was hard for them because they were from Dragonborn, which in this setting had wings. Um, but they weren't like they weren't really capable of flight. They were more like stinted wings, if anything. I think they were highly deformed creatures. Right. The the blood curse had taken pretty sinister effect. Right. Them. Yeah. And so um, eventually they brought up these mountains, and the four of them, or sorry, the five of them. No, it was just four at this point, because because Grulok at that point, um, yeah. when when sh when they killed that Razkarav. Um, Grulak just said, no, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to die. I, I don't, I just die. Just can you yeah, just kill just me, me please? And that was yep. the end of Gru. Um, from what I remember, uh, if that, yes, that was correct. She went to the, she went to the afterlife of her people and that was that. Yep. Yeah. And so then the four of them, Malak, Raven, Chenna, and Kern continued on in their journey to make sure that the curse of Razkarov could not continue or proliferate in any way. And yep. they spent the next chapter of their lives just committing genocide. They killed every Rogling that existed. Yes. And, and the Roglings, yeah. it took them so long that the Roglings evolved while they did it. I mean, they, they ultimately became these creatures that could crawl into the earth, into the depths of the earth, and enter a death-like stasis so that it was harder for them to be detected. Yeah. They did everything in their power to survive. I mean, nations formed like you fought armies you fought families you fought everything yeah you committed genocide against this species and i'm not saying that's right i don't think any of the players would say that that no. was right that was where the campaign went yeah because of all of the pain and and difficulty that you guys had faced with how things wound up yeah ending. it was hard right and and we yeah. we had understood the gravity of Razkarov was not lost on us right we understood yeah. that this world was forever changed and if she was able to stay, there would never be any peace for any of these people, right? She would become the one god. She right. would become a god. She would, consume, she, would, she would consume everything. Yes, she would. She would consume everything. The whole world would end up becoming under her. Yeah. And it really, that the whole point was like Raven came back and he didn't want to feel any of that. So yeah. he, because he was so broken by that point that it was just like, it was unnecessary. Raven essentially got sh like sheared into two pieces. His emotions and Absolutely. things like that stayed in the death realm, and um, his body and hate and anger and rage all went to the mortal realm, right? And yeah. this went on for an incredibly long time, and it was brutal to say the least. It was it was mm -hmm. mind-bendingly difficult. Um, as these characters to have to justify this and it was so hard i, I think it went on for like uh, you know uh, an incredibly long amount of time like 
longer than the campaign and when it went on for hundreds of hundreds years. of years right yeah yes and essentially there was one point when um you know they had been doing this for a long time and it was exhausting and they were close to being done and Malak was finally starting to feel the weight of this start to lift off of him like he could finally be done soon and yep. no one else really felt that anymore because Chenna was distant and un unwilling to talk and just kind of wanted to get things done get things over with yep. Malak was again elemental rage and I believe at that Raven point was. Kern Raven had was. just died or yeah Raven sorry and I believe at that point Kern had just died of old age yeah Kern had died of old age at that point um and had refused to be cloned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Malak had no intention of of stopping because he knew it, this had to be com continued. Raven was uh, essentially the same way, but in like slightly different circumstances. And I'll get there in a minute. Um, but basically, what happened was Chenna and Raven hadn't seen Malak for maybe a month or two, and they had had meetings about like, okay, what sections do we need to clear out next? This very like grotesque, almost like macabre kind of like situation and they realized that like the last place Malak was was in like this quadrant over to the west or something like that and they Cheno just walked through it one day and just found Malak had blown his brains out in the middle of the street because he just couldn't handle the emotional turmoil of committing genocide anymore because he knew he had to do it but he was just it it had been with him for so long that it was just it, it was impossible for him to deal with the emotions anymore. And in some on some level, it was maybe miraculous he made it that long. Oh oh, to be very clear, it was miraculous. Like the fact that he was able to shun those emotions for so long. Maybe I, I've actually thought about this a little bit. Is like I think it was a little bit of him looking at at Raven and trying to think that there was some semblance of his brother still in there that it, that maybe Raven understood that this situation was going to be hard and that like he kind of like pressed it down and maybe Malak was trying to be strong for Raven or there could have been millions yeah. of justifications, right? There could have yeah. been millions because Malak There may have been moments be... where he stopped trying to justify it and he just yeah. said, this is what needs to be done. I know that I'm doing it. Right, exactly. And and that that was like the purpose, right? The The grand justification was they didn't want the world to end. Yeah. That was it, right? They knew if they didn't do this, the world was done. It was over. They knew that if they missed one single roggling, it would all be for naught. Right. So also it became sunken cost fallacy. I've already killed so many people. If I stop killing now, right. then it's for nothing. what was that for? Exactly. Yeah. And Malak just couldn't process any of this anymore. Yeah. And Chenna just found Malak sitting on his knees with uh, his, yeah. like essentially like eldritch gun in front of him just like in in this torn apart state yeah. um i will say that before that happened a couple hundred years beforehand you guys had gone and visited saris who had taken to being a dictator of her realm and you you killed her so that was good <laughs> really um, no i i actually zach i remember it differently truthfully oh do you yeah um what happened was she became a god like she intended to. Oh, right. She did. No, yeah, yeah. So I think you, you actually... So Zach has yeah, ran this right, campaign right. a couple times. So yep. it's possible that you are thinking of a different instance. 
Um, but yeah, what happened was that. she became a god, and then the way that gods work in Zach's campaign is however the worshippers believe that god is, is what they are. And so she eventually just became this diluted right. version of what she intended to be because people started to believe that she was benevolent, and so she became benevolent. Against her own will. Against her own will. Which was kind of poetic. Yeah. This this cruel dictator, this, like, overlord finally ascending to godhood. Yep. It's exactly like the, the ending of, of Aladdin. <laughs> That's true. Of like, oh, you want to be a genie? Cool. But that comes with all the constraints of being a genie. Yep. You want to be a god? Cool. But you, that means you are what people believe you exactly. to be. Exactly, yeah. So if people start praying to you and be like, oh, thanks, Saris. Yep. Well, all of a sudden, Saris is turn now into Santa Claus. like benevolent in a certain sense. Yeah. yeah. And so she she no longer had any like agency over the situation, right? Yeah. But she she gave up her agency for power. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was like the true poetic kind of ending. But Malak and Raven never figured that out, right? Yeah. So, um, and then finally, nor would it have maybe even mattered to them at that point. Eventually, the only two people that could ever really handle it, um, Chenna basically got to a point where she could just p be so powerful uh, that she could just kill people from th by thinking of them and things like that. Like, it was just, it, like, yeah. just as, like, a understanding of how powerful Chenna was, right? Um, they were on the cusp of godhood. Right, exactly. Were... But ch basically what yeah. happened was, eventually, all of the Roglings did die. The species died. It was done. Yep. They won. But that it was at the cost of genocide. Yeah, and and when 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 she was when Chenna was confident that they had killed them all, she went uh, to to the uh, uh, Kurosani, which was an ancient species of reef giant who had kind of like entered this logic age where they had basically left their bodies behind and just become logic. Like, yeah. emotion, humanity, everything was just gone. Yep. And so she went to them and she did that to she herself. She sacrificed. Her death. Yeah, she sacrificed her. She said, I don't want to feel this anymore. This is gone. Exactly. She sacrificed her mortality and the emotions that came with it so that she never had to deal with it again. Because it was too traumatizing for her to have to go through. Of course, right? As any, yeah. as any being that that happens with, that would be the case, right? Because yeah. that is so difficult to try and rationalize and deal with. And understanding that that's a necessary evil, even as huge as that evil is, is not... There's no justification that will stop you from feeling that, that emotion when you know that you have to, have to do that, right? Yeah. So she was just unable to process that, no longer had the ability to, to do that, and gave up yeah. her emotions. Raven had, uh, had done that at the beginning, and Raven, for the rest of his life, the rest of the existence of the world as a whole, was so primally angry, rageful, and um, just um, just destructive. Filled with wrath. He, he, he was wrathful. Yes, exactly. Yes. That is a great way to say it. He, he was so wrathful that... His rage against death literally made it impossible for him to die. It was so potent. Um, he was he literally refused to die because he was so angry about the situations that were occurring, and he was so rageful yeah. about kind of like evil doomslayer, maybe. Yeah, he became uh, so at the moment uh, it, the the entirety of this continent was now basically a pit right of of mountains yeah. 
And so it anyone... Was, got, it was scorched and blackened and yeah, destroyed. It, exactly. And so Raven was the only living thing left in this entire area. All like all of it. This, this culture, yep. the people, everything. Gone. Destroyed. And yep. Raven was the only thing left. And his primal rage just was the only thing that kept him from dying. Uh, he just was physically incapable of doing so because he was so furious. Um, and... Yep people would come and they would try and kill the thing in the pit cuz that's he didn't he didn't even have a name eventually he became the thing in the pit yes exactly and people adventurers would, would come and try to quell this evil and they would just all get slaughtered like they all died it, it was like not no contest right yep and for hundreds of years millions right because millions of years. essentially eventually the world unraveled and Zach, do you remember this yeah, so so Raven stayed in that pit. He stayed the thing in the pit for um, so long that the world around them evolved and it turned into this industrial age. It turned into this space age. It evolved past where we are. It became the future. <laughs> I mean, space travel became commonplace and this cosmic evil came. Um, or no, this this like a very powerful alien race wound up coming and blew up the planet. And Raven was still alive. And he hurtled off into space and he landed on a planet. And then that one would eventually detonate and he'd be blasted off into space again. And this continued until eventually he got thrown clear from the galaxy. And he went out into dark space, this being of shadow and rage and, and death. Um, and he merged with a greater cosmic horror called the Bannock Horde. And he fit right in. Yep. It... That's Essentially, exactly the edge the of like is. he floated for so long and through so many different places that he reached the edge of the known universe, and the Bannock Horde consumed and amalgamated him. Yes, he, he didn't die. The he of just Raven became character. He became eternal. In yeah, a way he became entropy. Yep, a personification of entropy. Yep, and so. so that, as you might imagine, was not an easy session to play. That was the hardest, I think, that that we could have imagined that going. Yeah. To watch those characters evolve and have all this personality and humanity and and development, and then that's where it ends. So I think I think the best justification or like kind of juxtaposition. No, yeah, not justification, juxtaposition that I can give for this is Um There was a time where Malak was just going back. Like, I want you to, like, any listener still here, thank you for, for seriously, yeah, this is difficult, right? This is hard stuff to talk about. But yeah. um, this is D&D, right? It's more than the simple stuff. Um, but basically, going back before this, keeping all this in perspective, all of this game-ending, God-confronting stuff... I remember playing this character as someone who sat on the top of a mountain and just sat on a porch and cried because he missed his brother and their relationship and he missed his people and he missed his family and he missed being yeah. someone that people could look up to. Yeah. And he was just so sad because he wanted he wanted to feel like he was worthwhile like he was doing something right 
And to see them devolve so horrifically into that end was really what I think that juxtaposition was the thing that really broke me and Jerry as as yeah. players in that. Because that wasn't something that we could come away from unscarred. You know? Yeah. That was rough. And there was a lot to learn there. Um in a way, there were aspects of it that felt right, but there were aspects of it, obviously, that felt horrific right. and completely out of place. Yeah, of course. And we that was all optional. That's not like I gave an epithet to everybody and I was like, so this is what happens. There were aspects of that, but that was the world. Your char- You kept making the decisions yeah. that your characters made. Oh, yeah. Until the very end. Yeah. There was no cut scene. There was no ending cut scene. Yep. It was just... Yeah, we, we made all those decisions. That wasn't Zach, yeah. like, telling us what we do, right? So, um, no, yeah. And, and I don't know. that. That's hard, right? That's that's a difficult game to kind of come back to and think about. But that has that affected me. It's a dark place. So, it, it's a dark place, right? And I think um, the one thing that I have kind of come back to thinking about was I think that was us as players kind of showing that um, in those moments where like we were struck down, I think that was us in a sense getting into that almost revenge against the DM kind of space. Mm. Uh, because I think that we were so like furious at the ending there that we basically, it could have ended and it'd be like, all right, you guys lost. Like she wins. This is how it goes. Right. But we said, no, our characters got put into this situation, and so now we do this, and then it destroys everything here. The nothing here is yeah. worth anything anymore. Our characters yeah. have been corrupted, and there is no redeeming them anymore. That's it. It's done. And that was us kind of being like, no, you tell us like we don't get to resolve this. We're going to resolve it, whether it takes genocide or not. And it did. And it did. Right. And that, that was that's, that's very hard. interesting that you say that because I as the DM didn't feel that at all in those moments. I, I think it was I, only at the end of that campaign. Yeah, that's totally fair. In in those moments in the campaign, I worked very hard to not put myself into the situation and just be like, all right, this is what happens. This is how history will go forward. This is the world that you're in. Um and maybe there was some element of you guys trying to get back at the DM, but the problem is the DM doesn't exist in the game. Right. So then you were just destroying the world. Right. No, I, you know, then it was just... At the same time, that was definitely yeah. a very reasonable thing for them to... Like, I mean, reasonable it is was. a very it amorphous was. word. If it hadn't been right reasonable, now, then that would have been even right. worse. Right. Because, like, there, it was our characters being like, okay, we're no longer... Like, Malak and Raven... They no longer had the ability to save their people. That was done, right? Th- it was there was over. no ability for them to do that. The only thing that anybody got to care about anymore was, do we want the world to end or do we not? Yep. And you made your choices. That was it. So and you carried them through. Yeah, we had to. Because if if we wanted any semblance of this world that we enjoyed playing in to exist, we had to do that. Mm-hmm. There was no... There was... It was... It was like largely emotionally complex but on the like when you really dig down to the very bare numbers of it it was black and white it was do you want the world to die or not yeah 
those were our options. The, the gray area becomes what are you willing to do to get there? Right. And it was anything. It was yep. literally we don't want the world to end. We would do anything for it. Yeah. So, and that I, I will also say I have run Edia more than once. And one of the earlier times I ran it, the world also kind of ended because of the player's actions. And that group killed Ceres. They won. Um, and there was a cost to that, too. So, in a way, Edia just has a dark ending if you go that route. Hmm. Um, but this was definitely darker, I think, than than the way that particular campaign ended. It's hard. I mean, you're, it's there's, it's a very unstable situation. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And also potentially, I haven't handled it very well in the past, and I think I would like to handle it better in the future. But that's the thing, um, right? It's it's learning, right? We're never you, perfect. That's the key. When you have a difficult session, you have the potential to learn from it. Or the potential to be embittered by it forever. Right. This really and circles around, you right? You make that choice. It does. It does. Yeah. The... I have a, I'm, I'm starting up a new game, and I have a similar figure to Saris no. in this game. I'm so excited. I, I want to hear about that sometime. I, I, I Well, it hasn't started yet, but once it starts, I'll keep you informed. Okay, good. Um, but I'm planning to play it very differently. <laughs> Are you going to be playing uh, Edia again? Not right now, but someday. Yeah. I, no, the one for this campaign is called Merlin Anglar. Ooh, that's a very, that's a very, um, that's really kind of poetic because my, the, the gray character in Dawnguard was Lancelot. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> that is good. I so, like that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I I think ultimately, like if we could end on anything, coming around to anything at all, it is those things are hard, but that doesn't yeah, mean that you don't have to learn from them, right? Whether it comes from playing a character and being, you know, embittered by the situation and then coming off of it and not playing that game anymore uh, or or playing a game and just being there to spite the DM um these may not be the best of endings right but there are things no. to learn from right and yeah. when you look at those as a whole and you try and analyze them and uh and you try and move on and learn from what you've accomplished or what you've not accomplished or what you've had to go through that's what D is about man like yeah it is it, in the grand scheme of things, D&D is our place to experience those hard places in life, those difficult moments of existence, and look at them in the face and be absolutely consumed. Yeah. But have it be a place where it's safe to do so and have it be a yeah. place where we don't have to feel like we are drowning in it all the time. Yeah. I think a hard ending is not necessarily always a bad one. I agree. I, I agree. If you're if you're drowning in it and and you have no ability to mediate it or deal with it or or anything like that, then that's not good. D and D is supposed to be a space where you can deal with those ideas. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Alright. Man, hell. Heavy. This is this has gone on. For about an hour longer than I expected it to. You know, 
Yes, indeed. I was like, I don't know if we'll have enough to talk about. No, dude. Yeah, I. I, <laughs> I this was one of the ones I was the most excited about because it was just like so crazy as a concept in general. Um, because you know you can go through a lot of this and experience. Everybody experiences different things. It's really yeah. difficult to go through a lot of this and come out the other side unscarred in in any of these situations, right? Yeah, and maybe you shouldn't. Maybe if you do, then that's a problem, right? Right. Maybe you should gain scars i mean that's kind of yeah. the benefit of D D is that it's your scenario it's your story agreed you're in it you yeah know, i totally for agree better or so. worse yeah um all right well yeah. thanks for listening if you've made it this long this is the longest podcast we've done so far yeah i hope you guys enjoyed it um I had a great time. Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, dude. Honestly, it's cathartic to talk about this stuff because it is. it's difficult to experience, but it makes it, like I said, this whole, this whole thing is us talking about the end of it. So it feels good. So, yeah. I agree, man. Um, everybody else, I hope you've had a wonderful time. We always, of course, enjoy having you around. If you've gotten all the way to the end here, damn, son, that's crazy. That's a lot of time. <laughs> We hope that you truly, even in the harder parts of this podcast, found something to resonate with or found something to listen to and latch on to. Um, this type of stuff is not always easy to talk about, but I think that we really came around to kind of like a, a healthy way of looking at it all. And sometimes you just got to look at those hard things and stare them in the face. And I hope that that has been helpful for you. I hope, listener, that you have some difficult sessions, but that they're difficult in a good way difficult in a way that you learn from and that um maybe give you wisdom that we don't we haven't even expressed here that's what i hope it's never the same for any two people but we can always bond over those experiences absolutely so all right everybody all right. peace out you're so wonderful we'll see you on the next one goodbye yeah bye-bye <laughs> hey everyone Thank you so much for listening. The fact that you have made it here to the end means the absolute world to me. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with your friends. Or if you have the time, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is a great way to show your support. If you have any questions for us to answer, you can send them in to journeysrestpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for sharing the precious pieces of your time with us. And I hope the rest of your day is wonderful. See you again at our table soon.